You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter. And I'm uh, actually uh, broadcasting from the law school today. They fixed the uh, air conditioning. Uh, they I couldn't get to my office last week because the air conditioning was was out and it got to be 100 degrees in here with this uh, uh, between the heat in Atlanta and Georgia in the 90s outside and got to 100 degrees in my office. So I couldn't come in. But here I am and uh, talk a little bit about things. Uh, we, of course, the Democratic convention is, is over and we we uh, the Democrats have nominated uh Joe Biden. Now, I understand that I was uh, <clears throat> spent a lot of years in Delaware. I was a professor at Widener Law School, what is now called Widener Law School. And I spent uh, oh, a good part of, uh, let's see, I was in the Justice Department uh, for a while under Reagan and, and then went back to Widener Law School again as a professor. The um, And what was the word about Joe Biden, when, when when he was a senator from Delaware, well, first of all, he was called the senator from Wilmington Trust. Wilmington Trust being the biggest, most powerful bank in Delaware, which uh, handled a lot of the accounts for the DuPont family. And it was uh, whatever Wilmington Trust wanted, uh, Joe Biden would do. And that included uh, amendments to the bankruptcy code, and uh, some of which were supported by and some opposed by uh, Senator uh, some other senators, and uh, it was a very pro-bank amendments uh, to to the bankruptcy code. Elizabeth Warren, who's an expert in consumer bankruptcy law, opposed uh, some of those amendments uh, as being uh, making it more difficult for uh, for debtors to to uh, get rid of their debts to be forgiven their debts. And, of course, that's going to be a big issue coming up, and I'll address that later. There are some ways of addressing that, and uh, I have uh, actually proposed some changes in the bankruptcy code, uh, which would uh, help a lot of students. Uh, of course, the big problem is the uh, federal loan program and all the debt. Alice Rivlin, who created the mess under Johnson, when she passed away some years later and was asked about her achievement of creating this federal aid to higher education, uh, these loan programs, she was reported to have said, I have created a monster. And she certainly did because the universities took advantage of federal money by raising tuition and spending it on all sorts of nonsense, uh, new fancy digs, huge salaries for administrators, more administrators, lower workloads for professors, all these things meant that uh, the cost of uh, education, tuition-wise, rose about four times the rate of inflation. That's where we are today, and uh, we have this overlay of student debt, which is uh, really murderous, over $1.3 trillion now, and you combine that with all the debt that we have uh, generated uh, on this stimulus and and other profligate spending by the federal government. And uh, uh, there's a lot of economists who don't think this can last. But who knows? I don't know. Uh, And uh, I used to tell my students, and I still tell my students, that I get blogs from different economists. I read different economists. And if you read, uh, you know, four different economists, you get at least five different opinions. 
So uh, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I keep in contact with uh, one of the economists on a regular basis, is a friend of mine, and uh, he is. When you talk to him in real detail, he's as clueless as the rest of us, and he's a very prominent economist. Uh, but that's the way it goes. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the Democrats, uh, they want the federal government to bail out the states that are very poorly run, like New York and Illinois, and these states really are insolvent. If you take a look at their uh, unfunded pension and health liabilities, they're completely insolvent. And the Democrats want the feds to, because they can't print money, the states can't print money, but the federal government can just rev up the printing presses and uh, Presumably bailed about. We'll, we'll of course pay for that down the road. But it's a mystery. It's a mystery to me because under the Jim, under Carter administration, one reason Jimmy Carter lost the presidency for Ronald Reagan, among others, is we had what was called stagflation. Inflation rate had hit 14%. Interest rates uh, on used cars had hit 21%. And uh, the, the economy was stagnating. And so uh, Reagan came in and, and dealt with the problem successfully. But uh, the question is now, uh, why don't we have a, a, a tremendous inflation now? And, and there's no uh, indication that we're going that we're presently going to have inflation, tremendous inflation. Interest rates are very low. Mortgage rates, you can get a 15-year fixed mortgage for about 2.5% at this point. Uh, and that's, that's historically quite low. Uh, so I guess uh, at least some investors are not expecting a, uh, an inflationary period, but we'll find out. Uh, anyway, that's uh, just a, a couple of comments I, I was making on that. Let's get back to the Democrats, though, and, and Joe Biden. Uh, yes, the, the senator from, uh, from uh, Wilmington Trust. What else did the, let's say, the political class... Think about Joe Biden in Delaware and the, and the journalist class rather than the, the ordinary voters. Well, we kind of all knew he was a corrupt, gaff-prone liar of limited intelligence. Now, he was a classic type of someone who is not all that intelligent who really thought he was brilliant. And uh, you, ha- you saw it happen in the Senate. It was a joke whenever... Joe Biden got up in the Senate to give a speech. His colleagues used to head for the door. The last thing they wanted to hear was Joe Biden uh, giving one of his uh, ultra-long, uh, cliche-ridden speeches. So it, it comes as a surprise to a lot of us who, uh, you know, were with, uh, and were in Delaware and, and, and knew Joe Biden. And by the way, Joe Biden was known. You know, Delaware was a small state. And you say, well, you know, this guy was made fun of. People used to say, oh, you know, Joe's not too bright, but he's such a nice guy. That was the word they used to use. And anyway, he showed up at my uh, parents' 50th one anniversary. He showed up at the Summers Bar Mitzvah. He showed up at the championship football game, a high school football game. So, you know, he always showing up. So everybody thought they, you know, a lot of people in Delaware had a personal connection with Joe, so they voted for good old Joe. Uh, not thinking very much of him, and, and I would think it would surprise most of the people of Delaware who were there and uh, and and paid attention to Joe Biden. The senator would be quite surprised about Joe Biden getting a presidential nomination since he had failed, you know, twice before, and and deservedly so. 
So anyway, so now the Democrats nominate a corrupt, gaff-prone liar with limited intelligence who on top of all that seems to show signs of cognitive decline. So they put his vice president is Kamala Harris. Now, she campaigned for attorney general in California as tough on crime. Now, of course, she's reversed that. And she was tough on minor crime, but she was never tough on major crime committed by people that were well-connected politically or financially. So it's going to be very interesting to see if the American people warm up to Kamala Harris. I don't think they will. Uh, I think the choice of uh, Kamala Harris's VP and the American people will look at her as a possible president because very few people really believe that Joe Biden can last four years if he were elected. So, so they're looking at Kamala Harris as a potential president. I think the closer they look at her, the less likely they ought to vote. And for the first time uh, in a while, I'm uh, guardly pessimistic. I was being pessimistic. I'm guardly optimistic that President Trump will win re-election. And uh, as a wins re-election, I think uh, the, Demo- uh, the Democrats will not take the Senate. The Democrats were counting on picking up uh, Colorado, Arizona, Maine, and North Carolina, those four seats at a minimum, and I think that things are changing. I, I think Colorado, you know, probably a, a Democrat pickup at this point, but Arizona has tightened substantially. North Carolina is tightening the Republicans catching up, the incumbent Republicans catching up in North Carolina. Tillis, and I think Maine is going to start to tighten with Susan Collins making a comeback. So we'll see what happens. I... Um, as I said, I have a guardedly optimistic that uh, Republicans will hold the Senate and that Trump will be reelected. And after all, as far as the House is concerned, the Republicans pick up 20 seats in the House and uh, somewhere around 20 seats in the House, and they take control of the House again. And there are enough seats that historically were in Republican hands before 2018 that could return to Republican hands. Those are us who would like to see the Republicans take back the House understand that there are various groups of voters, and they uh, vote differently. Single women, for example, in terms of Republicans, are hopeless. The the Democrats, uh, their uh, margin among single women, net vote margin, net gain, is the you know, largest of any group. So single women, and, and they re- remain... Uh, uh, in terms of Republican uh, uh, possibilities, uh, hopeless. Uh, but there are married women with children who voted Republican, at least narrowly, for years. In 2018, there was a change. A lot of these suburban women, uh, white, black, whatever they were, uh, went the other way. Uh, and the question is, will they come back? And they might. Uh, at least enough of them might come back because of the safety issues and zoning issues. The Democrats seem to be uh, absolutely unconcerned about the looting and rioting and the uh, and the violence and the increase in murders in all these cities, uh, which are under Democratic control, busy defunding the police and 
you know, it's wonderful. Michelle Obama gives a, a, a speech where she talks about the police killing unarmed black men all over the country. You know, the total, it was like, I don't know, 19 last year or so, or less than that. The total so far this year maybe uh, is close up to 14. But you know, if the, um, if the pace continues of murders and the incredible increase in murder homicides, there'll be 8,000 black men killed mostly by other blacks anywhere from 89 to 96 percent of all homicides against blacks are committed by other blacks so we may have 20 blacks unarmed blacks killed by police maybe two or three unjustified and we're going to have 8,000 young blacks mostly young black males killed by other blacks um kind of interesting uh you know, criteria of what, 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 what police violence against blacks is, not considering what really goes on. But, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in the election, and we'll see what uh, Trump can claim about uh, restoring order. I think uh, we have to understand what's going on now is an insurrection. It's not right. It's not oh, Edward Banfield's famous book on the unheavenly city from 1970, where he had a chapter called "Riding for Fun and Profit." It's gone beyond riding for fun and profit. It's an, it's an insurrection. It is, it is financed through Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement. In other words, uh, a lot of corporate America. You say, well, why would corporate America? You know, finance their own doom. Well, Saul Alinsky told us why. Because corporate America is interested in short-term profits. And as he said at one point, he could get a these capitalists, these captains of industry, to sell him rope on one day if they could make a profit, even though he was going to use the rope the next day to hang them. So he had a point there, and obviously uh, most of corporate America, the big big corporations, the real big ones, I'm not talking about medium and small corporations, the big corp are solidly behind the, the Democrats. And you know, don't believe me, go look at the uh, contributions. They're public, and we'll talk about something about that in a minute. Um, uh, in fact, but, we're going to take a break, if you don't mind, Robert. Go right ahead. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino back with Do Facts Matter and I was talking about what's uh, going on in the corporate uh, support of the Democrats. And, of course, I'll talk a little more about that in, 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 when I talk about the billionaires. But the um, and, you know, another reason, obviously, is, is they feel that Trump is interfering with their access to the Chinese market. 1.3 billion people, and they want access to the Chinese market, and they want... Uh, and they don't care if China is the uh, domination world as long as they have access to the market. It means profits. So, um, and and Trump is in their way. He really has taken the Chinese threat seriously uh, to our interests. And uh, but the co- corporate America on the, the large corporations—they're globalists. Uh, there's a huge divide, and and what are the divides? Is those who are still consider themselves Patriotic, patriotic Americans and those who consider themselves citizens of the world, the globalist elites on the east and west coasts, and they're interested in access to China and uh, what, how much money they can make with uh, in, in China. You know, remember, <clears throat> General Motors sells more cars in China than they sell in this country. The um, but in any case, so we have the the corporate interests are, are funding. Essentially funding the insurrectionists, because that's what we have going around, insurrection. Uh, the, uh, this is not the riding for fund and profit. That we, we're beyond that. We're beyond the, 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 you know, the, the trust, trust babies from the suburbs coming down having fun and the, uh, and the local thugs, uh, deciding to go shopping without paying for the goods. This is a, uh, and, and I think that if you look at this, you're going to see the fingers of um, the Obama-inspired organization organizing for America group here. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't say they're rioting the members of that group, but I think they're giving aid and comfort to the Antifa and Black Lives Matter uh, organizations, uh, which you know are showing themselves to be terrorist organizations. And I think a lot of people who, you know, who out there say Black Lives Matter are genuinely concerned about the black community, although they have no clue how to deal with the problems which have been largely created by the Democrats. And uh, if you don't believe me, I want you to go look at Daniel Patrick Moynihan, wrote a wonderful article for Public Interest, which was a magazine out of Harvard, and Daniel Patrick Moynihan, I mentioned him before, was what? He was a well-known 
Harvard sociologist who became advisor to Senator uh, to President Kennedy, and then he was advisor to President Johnson, and then he was an advisor to President Nixon, and then he became a Democrat senator from New York. And uh, he wrote an article about how the Great Society and the War in Poverty wrecked the black family. Yes. I mean, before the government decided to fight poverty in the 60s and before the Great Society, about 11% of black children were born to single parents. Now it's over 70%. And, of course, these same programs are wrecking the lower-income white communities now because Back in the 50s, it was about 6% of the whites were born to single-parent families. Now it's about 30%. So, and that's a, that's a uh, you know, we are coming apart. And part of the reason we're coming apart is because the uh, family's coming apart. But, and and, and what, do, what do we expect? We have young males who are, you know, I'm, are essentially barbarians before they're civilized. It doesn't make any difference if they're white or black. They 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 need to be civilized. They need to be uh, learn how to control themselves. The brain development is not mature until you're right. for males anyway until you're 24. And 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 if you take the Christian and Jewish view that man is a fallen, that and Christians would talk about original sin, and uh, therefore they. Their evil tendencies need to be controlled. Well, what control the evil tendencies? Well, family. The left is destroying the family. Sometimes with good intentions, war and poverty, great society, sometimes with not so good intentions. This whole push for homosexual rights uh, and for marriage. I don't name rights in terms of living their lives, but uh, redefining the family to take in the, and, and, and believing in magic that boys can claim their, their girls and, and by magic they're converted. Uh, and that's, that's just magic. That's belief in magic. It just shows you that progressivism is a, is a primitive religion. And, uh, but what else? Controls it. Well, there's a church. Well, the church is certainly under attack. The Obama administration went after the churches big times with regulations trying to force uh, Christians to uh, uh, do things they, they oppose doing, uh, try to uh, force uh, Christian oriented hospitals to, to uh, uh, perform abortions and what have you. So the Obama administration was very hostile towards uh, Christianity and the Christian beliefs. And, of course, the, the elite media is, is that anyone who now says that uh, he thinks marriage should be between a man and a woman, uh, that's denoted hate speech. So so we have the destruction of uh, the family, the attack on the church, and now we have the, the third thing that keeps people under control, the law. And this defund the police movement, this attack on the police, uh, is all about destroying the law, this one law in order, destroying the law, and and, and letting the brown shirts, yes, I'm not calling them brown shirts, they're analogous to brown shirts, Antifa, and the thugs that uh, are on the street for Black Lives Matter, uh, control, <clears throat> control the streets. 
And where is this all going to lead? <clears throat> well, I think that one thing we need to be concerned about is, of course, if Trump wins the presidency and it's a narrow victory, and I think he, I think he will win, and I think he'll win a, a majority of the popular vote this time. Because remember what happened last time. If you take California out of the picture, Trump won the popular vote. He was a million votes ahead of Hillary Clinton until California. He lost California by four million votes, which means Hillary Clinton won by three million. And if you want to have a president chosen by California, then we should get rid of the Electoral College. And that's absurd because the Electoral College is a protection for liberty, protection of minority interests. But be as it may, we can discuss that some other time. The point is that the the entire margin that Hillary Clinton uh, had uh, in the popular vote came out of her taking California by 4 million votes. I don't think that will happen now. I think the California... Uh, vote total will narrow. Uh, the Democrat Biden may take it by two and a half million or so, but he'll take it. But uh, I think that uh, the increasing votes for uh, Trump elsewhere, and I think he will have increased votes, will offset that. But anyway, let's assume that the vote is very close. And whether it's a narrow uh, popular vote march for Trump, I think the left will not accept it. And the left is already setting up to steal the election if they can't steal it then they're going to do everything they can to create chaos. So I think the insurrection will continue. I do think, however, that Trump will take action. And I think uh, Trump will take military action if necessary to put the insurrection down. And I think he may need to. There may be no other choice uh, uh, to, to do that. Call this an insurrection. Call it what it is. Because the last thing we want to happen is the... Uh, the uh, rioters to start moving into the suburban areas or the rural areas and the American citizens of those areas starting to fight back and we'll have uh, gunfire on both sides and that's, that would not be good. Better, better to put an end to it before it gets to that point and it's pretty close to there now. And what has this got to do with billionaires? Well, you know, I had a project in my class I said, uh, one little project was list the 12 top billionaires, ultra-rich in this country. And by the way, uh, talking about billionaires, do you know how many billionaires are, are in the United States, according to, to Forbes and Bloomberg? Somewhere around 614 billionaires. So to be in the top 12, if you have a paltry billion dollars, let's say Michael Jordan, I think is worth over a billion bucks, and he, you know, he doesn't rat, he doesn't rat, you have to have, to be in the top 12, I don't know, 30, 40 billion dollars personal wealth or control that much wealth. But you take a look at the top 12, top 15, whatever it is, and it's, what, 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 what gets you is what is the basis of their wealth? I don't mean the basis of starting their wealth. Obviously, Gates and Microsoft and what have you, they, Oracle, they started various companies and, uh, and added to the productivity. But much of the wealth is now based upon holding stock. And what, 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 who sets the value of the stock? People who auction for it in New York Stock Exchange, 
willing seller, willing buyer. They get together. The seller says, I want X number of dollars per share. The buyer says, I'll only pay this. And when they get to the same price, the, the, the transaction's done. So people like Jeff Bezos and, and, uh, and Bill Gates, who's not no longer active in, 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 uh, in Microsoft, their wealth and their increasing wealth is based on the st- market value of their stock. So they're doing nothing productive in the sense of creating new wealth by new innovation and new systems. No, they're just sitting on this thing and it's in, 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 in the economic terms that we call it, that kind of wealth is, is wealth generated to, to rentiers, um, R-E-N-T-I-E-R-S, people who don't add to the wealth of the country, but but benefit from the increase in the value of their assets without having to do anything productive to, to increase that value. And, uh, and also what is startling about those billionaires, by and large, they're involved in things like service-related stuff or technology. Okay, well, you compare those with the robber barons of old, like Carnegie, Steele, Vanderbilt, railroads, Rockefeller, oil, gas, these these be the commodities or production of real things. Now we have software that's intangible. Uh, you, you have a whole shift in where the wealth is shifted towards the service industry, uh, towards the information uh, industry, and away from real things, real right. tangible things, uh, such as mining and uh, <clears throat> drilling, mining, and manufacturing. You had to build the railroads. Uh, and uh, and that looked like hard work to me. Yeah, well, it certainly was hard work, and uh, there was a lot of imported uh, labor to build the railroads, uh, both... Uh, a, large of, a lot of people from Ireland came, a lot of Chinese came to help build the railroads uh, because there was not enough population of America to really uh, do, do that. But, well, let's think about that and take a break. Okay. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. 
Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Professor Robert D'Agostino back with Do Facts Matter, and we're talking about the American ultra-rich, and we're talking about the shift from the old robber barons who did tangible things, build railroads, uh, <clears throat> drill for oil and gas, uh, and things of that sort, uh, steel factories, and by the way, steel factories, Carnegie, uh, if you look at current dollars, uh, Carnegie is still the wealthiest American ever. Uh, if you translate his wealth into current dollars, he's even ahead of, well ahead of Jeff Bezos, who's, who's number one in the country now with, uh, with Amazon. And Amazon, of course, racked up huge increase in the value of Amazon stock during the pandemic because, uh, their business uh, went through the roof. Uh, people, uh, I, I had two friends of mine or a couple of uh, friends of mine, and they were um, uh, in their home. They stayed in their house the entire pandemic, and they never went out shopping. They had all food delivered to the front door. And so they spent uh, oh, over two months without leaving the house, which we found uh, a little extreme. Uh, my wife and I, you know, took a number of walks together, and uh, we, we went out. We went shopping. We wore our masks to, to the supermarket, Publix or Kroger, whichever the supermarket was, was close, usually Publix. And uh, we wore our mask, bought our food. We went every, you know, twice, maybe once a week, twice a week uh, to the grocery store and, and uh, went out to a couple of restaurants that had outdoor seating. Uh, contrary to what uh, a lot of the uh, politicians told us, you know, stay in place. Don't leave your house. That was the worst thing you could do. I mean, uh, you gotta, you gotta get out. Now, I, I don't mean crowds, but, but being outdoors was far healthier. But anyway, that's beside the point. I want to go back to the billionaires. So the billionaires, one other thing besides the fact there's been a shift from things to services, things to technology, uh, software stuff of this of sort. Is another thing that strikes you about the billionaires, virtually all ultra-rich, not all the billionaires, but the ultra-rich, virtually all of them are Democrats. They give heavily to the Democrat Party. And whether you're Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or George Soros, and whether he's in the top 12 or 15 depends on how, uh, how much credit you give him for the uh, Open Society Foundations. I mean, his personal wealth is $8 billion. wouldn't put him in the top 15, top 12, 15. If you add in the value of the open uh, uh, society foundations, which he completely controls, and mostly funding left-wing groups of various sorts, 
uh, and left wing causes, uh, then he, he climbs up the ladder quite a bit because uh, probably the value of those maybe up to forty billion, probably a little bit less. I don't remember the exact number. So anyway, it doesn't make a difference. The answer is that most of the people on the list at the top are are Democrats. Now you can say, well, why? Well, there are some cultural reasons. Uh, a lot of them, you know, are uh, with the Democrats on uh, transsexual rights and and uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, there are cultural uh, reasons, especially since many of them are, are situated on the coast and they want to fit into the uh, cultural dynamics there. But also money. I mean, the Democrats protect their money. Uh and either by pushing again back to global trade, things like NAFTA and things like Chinese market, or let me give you a, uh, an example of what some hostility. Why is Wall Street so so much behind uh, 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 the Democrats? Well, because the Democrats have shown several times, starting with Clinton, they're willing to bail out the investment banks bail out their clients when they make stupid investments like the Mexican bonds. When Ronald Reagan was president and the Wall Street leadership went to Reagan for some bailout because their bonds had been defaulted from foreign country bonds defaulted, Mexico included, Reagan told them, you know, pound sand. When that happened under Clinton, and Robert Rubin was Treasury Secretary, they got the bailout. So they can count on the Democrats for the bailout. And they got it under Obama, too. Um, there's, I'm not criticizing some of the aspects of the bailout, because I think some were probably necessary, but not all. And you can read some books on that. Uh, so so anyway, and, and what else? Why else are they hostile towards, towards, towards the Republicans, generally, or Trump? They know he won't bail them out. But the other thing is the Trump tax reductions. Oh, well, they benefited. The, you know, their, their their taxes went down. Well, yes and no. It, it didn't actually go down for some of them. A good many of the very wealthy folks on Wall Street, people who have carried interests, who make their money by, use, by manipulating other people's money or investing other people's money, um, because the Trump tax reform limited the state tax write-off. Before all these people on Wall Street making millions of dollars and paying state high state taxes could write off the state tax against the federal tax. Trump restricted that to $10,000. So for a lot of the people who supposedly got a tax decrease, they actually got a tax increase because of the limit on their deductions. And I followed the money trail, always followed the money trail. So contrary to pop, you know, when I bought a new TV set, I uh, went over to Best Buy, and my over TV set I've had for, I don't know, 12 years, 15 years. It finally, you know, just went on the blink, couldn't get a picture so I went to Best Buy, and, and uh, there was a very uh, young fellow, very bright young fellow. He had majored in uh, 
among other things, he'd taken a number of courses in statistics, and he, he uh, struck me as, uh, we had a nice chat, so I'm looking around for various TV sets, and he's showing me this one, that one, and prices, and what have you. And um, so I asked him, I said, uh, at one point, uh, I said, uh, now, uh, <coughs> who do you think Wall Street supports in terms of political uh, donations? Oh, it's the Republicans or Republicans. Well, would you be surprised if I told you? At one point in the 2016 election, Wall Street executives and PACs had given $64 million to Hillary Clinton at the same time they gave $2 million to Donald Trump. Would that surprise you? Oh, and I said, how about the ultra-rich in this country? I mean, the real people have billions of dollars, 30, 40, 50 billion dollars. 100 billion, 190 billion maybe Jeff Bezos has. Who will they support? Uh, well, I would think, uh, he said, Republicans. I said, no. The last time I had looked, this was not recently, but I looked a couple of years ago, nine out of ten of the top ones were, were, were Democrats. So I think he was, I said, now you go look it up. Don't believe me. you got to go look it up. And you got to understand why this is so. I think Donald Trump genuinely wants to protect ordinary Americans, generally feels close to ordinary Americans, unlike the elites who run the Democrat Party, the, the elites on the, on, on the coast, Nancy Pelosi in California, Chuck Schumer in New York, and all that money that the, they, the Democrats raise among the corporate elites and the uh, Wall Street uh, financiers. And I think that uh, a lot of Americans are starting to understand that, but many, many don't. Many still think, oh, well, you know, he feels my pain, you know, good old Bill Clinton. The Democrats are still using that one. And what has this done now? Because one of the things that we see right now uh, in the media, to a large extent, uh, they're focusing on, instead of focusing on the real violent groups, instead of exposing the money behind Antifa, the fact that they had Mercedes vans that went into Idaho when they had decided to, to riot or, or protest in some town in Idaho, they showed up in Mercedes vans. They have uh, sophisticated electronic equipment and cameras. They're, uh, have, uh, they're, they're, their clothing is expensive and protective of clothing is expensive. And uh, they have all this. So the mainstream media wouldn't, wouldn't think of actually looking into these violent groups, these groups that are burning cities down. That are t so they got to concentrate on something from the right. So what are they doing? It's QAnon. <laughs> and uh, the New York Times had a great uh, headline. What is QAnon? The viral pro-Trump conspiracy theory. At least I got that right, theory, because QAnon refers is an umbrella term referring to all sorts of different people uh, with with all sorts of different conservative to extreme right-wing feelings. You get, of course, you got an extreme right-wing, and of course, who are they attacking now? Well, in Georgia, uh, I think the 14th Congressional District, the uh, Republican nominee is a person named Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, has said some positive things about QAnon. 
at least uh, some elements of QAnon. And, and so it's very important to understand that QAnon is an umbrella term. Everybody who uh, uh, connects with some of these websites or everybody who, who the media calls part of the QAnon uh, group is not extreme, is not a little nutty. Uh, but anyway, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's very attractive, by the way, and, uh, and she, uh, she's going to go to Washington. Uh, that district will not elect a Democrat. And uh, I think... Uh, I think she'll stir the pot, that's for sure. She is very outspoken and uh I think uh very conservative, obviously. So well, people can think about it, okay? I, I I didn't hear you there, uh jo- Yeah, people will think about it while we're taking a break. Oh, okay. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, talking to you about antique car insurance. Uh, in this hobby uh, that I've been part of for years, not all insurance companies and insurance coverage is the same. I would suggest that you call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com to find out some information about some of the best antique car insurance you can get, such as agreed value. Uh, insurance for your classic car. Again, if you're, when you get ready to, to, uh, insure your classic, classic antique or even your street ride, call JC Taylor Insurance or visit jctaylor.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Yes, this is uh, Professor Robert Dagestino back with Do Facts Matter? And I was talking about the recent victory in the Republican primary runoff by Marjorie Taylor Greene, the 14th Congressional District in Georgia. And uh, her uh, alleged connection with QAnon, but again, uh, QAnon is an umbrella term. So just because she said, agrees with something on QAnon, and you and I might agree with something on QAnon, doesn't mean she agrees with everything posted on QAnon. And uh, uh, I, I, I think there are a few things um, that uh, most, uh, I think, followers of QAnon do believe, and I, and I think uh, one of it's, of course, that... Uh, that uh, George Soros is a funder of uh, a lot of these left-wing radical and violent groups, and I think uh, he is directly or indirectly through the foundations who may give money to various groups who then give money to uh, uh, the, 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 the organizers of the riots. So there's, if, I think if you if you look at David Horowitz, David Horowitz Freedom Center, and and he did some tracing of the money and how it gets to uh, the uh, the organizers these people who can afford to ride in Mercedes vans and who have sophisticated equipment, that money comes from somewhere, doesn't it? And uh, so uh, David Horowitz has done some tracing of some of that money. Uh, but anyway, you've got uh, uh, 
uh, I think that one of the things that a lot of the people on QAnon believe is, is George Soros is funding a lot of this stuff to his uh, open society foundations indirectly or directly. But the big thing that's gotten a lot of the publicity is this thing arise out of Pizzagate. And the, uh, that, uh, and this involves what a global pedophile cabal that, uh, there is, uh, this global cabal of, uh, child abuse going on, pedophile, and they're all connected, of course, uh, and they point to things like, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Democrat contributor, Harvey Weinstein, Democrat contributor, sexually abusing of at least more adult women. Of course, Jeffrey Epstein was apparently across the board. And then you have this guy, Buck, in uh, California who's in jail, uh, allegedly, and I think I don't know if he's been convicted uh, uh, too much, but allegedly uh, for murdering uh, homosexual uh, black males, young homosexual males. Uh, and uh, several have died in, the, in probably on drug overdoses while in his apartments, apparently. Uh, but anyway, this is the, uh, the pizza gaze issue of uh, where it came. And what the QAnon people point out is that this fellow who owns this pizzeria was rated one of the most influential men in Washington. So how do you get influential uh, having a pizzeria? Well, having spent a good part of my uh, early 20s delivering pizzas, pizza boxes, excuse me, delivering pizza boxes and eating at pizzerias, I could understand that. A good pizza is hard to find. Once you find it, you I mean, really good pizza. And I can remember in my days in, in, in delivering pizza boxes out of a factory in um, – in Brooklyn, I guess I was around 22, 23. Uh, I had to be at least 22, 23 because I didn't have a driver's license until I was 22. Uh, so I'm delivering pizza boxes and, uh, and getting, eating pizza at a bunch of different pizzerias. And one pizzeria, which was, uh, I think it was Mama Carlucci's, as I remember, it was in Astoria, Long Island. That's part of Queens. And she had really great pizza. And she always gave me a couple of slices as a tip for delivering the boxes. Uh, I didn't get any tip money-wise, but I did get a, a couple of slices of pizza. And that was really good. And I still uh, like a good pizza. So I can understand why someone who really makes a tough white pizza could be influential. And in fact, here at the law school, uh, one of the groups um, was having a uh, meeting and they brought in some, some pizza for the uh, to attract attendance. You know, free food always attracts students. Uh, and brought the food in from one of the major pizza chains, delivery chains. Uh, chains. I won't mention the chain, but I characterize the pizza as uh, cardboard with red paint and Elmer's glue substitute for the cheese. And I told them in no uncertain terms that if they did this again, they wanted to bring in pizza. I would throw in an extra 50 bucks so that they could get pizza from the pizza joint down the street, which had quite decent pizza. And uh, so they promised that they would come to me for the 50 bucks extra. And so they would throw in whatever the budget they had plus my 50 and get better quality pizza. Uh, I would certainly hope so. 
So anyway, this um, QAnon you has the, the uh, Times article is actually uh, quite interesting because it then goes, how many people believe in QAnon? Well, again, QAnon, you can't say people believing in QAnon. That's an umbrella term. So how many people really access their um, uh, their, 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 their websites. Uh, and here's what the Times says. Some of the most popular QAnon groups on Facebook have more than 100,000 members apiece. And Twitter, re- Twitter recently announced it was taking actions to limit the reach of more than 150,000 QAnon-associated accounts. A recent report by NBC News found that Facebook had conducted an internal study of QAnon's presence on its platform, and it concluded that there were thousands of QAnon groups with millions of members between them. Well, the point is that QAnon groups have different views about different things. They're all, I think, uh, right of center. Uh, Most of them have conspiracy theories about various things. They believe in the deep state. Uh, they believe, a lot of them believe in this uh, pedophile cabal. I should say a lot, but at least one of the most popular sites believes in this, this uh, pedophile cabal. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting to uh, to understand that the media res- responds so negatively to this sort of thing. But the left-wing conspiracy sites are, go uncriticized and unremarked. And this uh, <clears throat> this idea that uh, Donald Trump is using the presidency to enrich himself, and that's baloney. I, I would think this has cost him plenty um, in, in terms of uh, business. Obviously, uh, to be for Trump is to take your, <laughs> take your, your livelihood <clears throat> in your hands, and a lot of people won't uh, won't uh, go to Trump sponsored golf courses or hotels because of uh, Trump's uh, dislike of Trump, and this and this is rather disturbing. I have some very good friends and some acquaintances who I respect who are Republican and are conservative and don't think you ought to kill babies for you know just because they're not born yet. And uh, socially conservative as well as financially conservative, and they won't vote for Trump. They're they're never Trumpers. I one the other day I was talking to, and he said he's voting for Biden, and then straight Republican below that. Uh, another one told me he's uh, voting. He and his two of his friends are voting third party. They won't vote for Biden, but they're voting third party, and then straight Republican below that. Uh, and that's just disturbing because they're, I think they're, they're putting image ahead of policy. I think, I think, I think Trump, and I point out to people this one, one thing about Trump. Yeah, he's grandiose and, uh, sometime, and earlier in his career he was kind of reckless. And if you take a look at what happened, in Atlantic City, the Trump Trump Casino in Atlantic City, Trump was reckless. He spended he spent recklessly. He was warned that he was spending too much. He was warned that he was too grandiose. He was warned that the, the revenue couldn't support what he was spending, and he did it anyway. And of course, the casino collapsed. The 
of bankruptcy. He repeated his era with the Plaza Hotel in New York and was forced eventually to sell it to uh, some uh, Middle Eastern sheiks. Uh, Citibank uh, <clears throat> forced Trump to liquidate Trump Airlines. Citibank wanted to sell the leases on the airline on the airplanes, and they, so, so, so Trump took a huge defeat. But he turned it around after that. Okay, so his uh, public persona didn't turn around, but the way he handled business and the way he handled people turned around. People, he always he always treated people well, ordinary folks well. Everybody's always said that. But but he didn't listen to advice from from good people who gave him advice. That changed, and he made a lot of money on the Pennsylvania Railroad uh, uh, renovation or, re- or rebuilding on top of the Pennsylvania Railroad Station on at 34th Street in Manhattan. He made a, a huge amount of money on that, but he listened to his advisors and people who work for him. I, I'm sure <clears throat> they, they've been told not to give any interviews to the press or what have you, but those few who have all say, if you work hard and you have ability, he's very easy to work for. About uh, 30 seconds. Well, I suppose that ends the show. I've thrown a lot on the, on, on the surface, uh, and I think you uh, need to look into it uh, deeply. Look into those billionaires and what they support and who they support. Look into the Open Society Foundations and and find out what they're up to, in the, not only in this country, but in the entire world. With that, I will say goodbye until next week. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.